I would highly encourage you to get Wally's preach from last Sunday morning. You can get downloaded off the website. But, but he spoke last week, and we're in the story of Ephesians and what God is doing in our hearts because he wants to do something amazing. He wants his church to shine. He wants his glory to be made known. But he starts in our hearts, and he does this cleaning out project. There's this great building project on the go. This morning I spoke about Extreme Makeover, Jesus Edition. You all know that um, Extreme Makeover show, a lot of tears, a lot of emotions, a lot of stories, and they get stuck in, they bash these, ch- these houses down, and they get stuck in, and they often, most of the time, break through walls to bring space. And what Wally spoke about is God breaks in, and he says in Ephesians 2, he says, He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. He gets stuck into our hearts. The greatest building project that Jesus is involved in is in our hearts. He was into open planning way before the interior decorators were. Way before. And he gets stuck in and he breaks down the walls and he breaks down the walls of division. He breaks down the walls of prejudice, the walls of perspective, all these things that creep up. And you know what? He breaks them down in the church. Paul is writing to the church. Oh, we're in the church. We got it all good. We got no prejudice. We got no lenses. And Paul is going at the dividing walls within the church so that the model to the world is a church not divided. One of the greatest tragedies as we go back is in, in our own history is, is a very prejudice within local church movements of split between racial lines. It's a tragedy. It's a travesty that, bra- that breaks my heart. But all we can do is move forward into a new church, into a higher glory that God is taking us where there is no dividing lines along any, any markers, be they financial, economic, or anything. And He's taking us on this real amazing story. And it says that Jesus is our peace. On that cross, He was torn apart. He was broken down so that we could be built up. That we could be made strong. We could be strengthened emotionally, physically, and relationally. It's a very cool story. I trust you're reading Ephesians. We're only going to spend another three or two or three weeks in Ephesians. We move on to something else for this next season. But it's a very cool story. And then we go on to chapter 2, verse 19. If you have your Bible with you, um, kind of three quarters of the way through, maybe more. And... um, Chapter 2, verse 19, Paul is writing to the church and he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become, a holy, to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. God is on this amazing building project called the church. If you thought it finished last week with Wally's preach about open planning, that's just the start. He opened plans so He can build, so He can get stuck in and bring His glory. And there's a purpose to His building. We're going to get there. But why? Why is He building? Well, it says, in, in, it, says it this way in the message version we see it taking shape day after day a holy temple built by god all of us built into it a temple in which god is quiet at home you know what jesus is building he's not building a house he's not building buildings that because his name's on the side he's going to become famous 
He's not, I'm into people just building the biggest church so the world sees the church as a building. He's into building with living stones. You see, before we were saved, before we came to know this king, before his grace washed over my life, I was just a dead pebble. Just a dead stone. Didn't matter whether it was a big one, a small one, a funny shaped one. I was just a dead stone. And 2 Peter 1 says he, he breathes his life into us and we become living stones. You ever taken a piece of charcoal and you put it, a firelight under us and then it becomes alive. It gets life to it. It gets red. It begins to perform a function. We are these living stones. But what's the purpose of a stone all by itself? I said this morning when Paul was writing, there was no coral brick. They didn't exist. There were no snazzy bricks that came out all the same shape and size. They were just different stones. And the context of this building is the builder is standing there and he's saying, well, I've got to start this building. I've got to start somewhere, the cornerstone. He finds the strongest stone, the biggest stone, the one that will set everything in place. That's Jesus. But then he starts to build this building. And he takes living stones Yes, previously dead stones, previously useless stones. He takes living stones and begins to put them in a wall. And he takes odd-shaped ones. Different. Different colors. They come from different rivers, different valleys. Didn't matter where they came from. He puts them in the wall and he breathes his life into it. Why? Why is he building? Because he needs big roofs. He needs steeples. He needs the world to see no. Because he wants a home. We aren't preaching this message. We aren't going through Ephesians to try to create the greatest church so you can feel at home. You know why we preach this message? So that he can feel at home here. And we are being built up in this. And he is building for himself a home. We are striving to be a community who walk in unity because we prize the presence of God. That's who we are. We're not striving to be snazzy or flash. We're striving to be a community who Jesus would say, I want to presence myself here. There is a church called Bethany. There's a place called Bethany. It's where Jesus went to visit Simon the leper. It's where he was anointed by Mary. It was this place he kept on visiting somehow. In all his travels and everywhere, he kept on going back to Bethany. He loved being at Bethany. You know the church that will change the world? The church that will see cities turn to Jesus. The churches that will see ongoing revival. That will ongoingly know the nearness of Jesus in their midst. Is the church that Jesus longs to preside in. Where living stones are prepared to come together. See there are too many living stones eventually dying out on their own. We are designed to be in community. We are designed to walk this thing out together. We are designed to be put in a wall and there's some under us and there's a big one next to us and there's a, there's a different colored one above us and we're in a wall and the Spirit of God is working in and through, filling the gaps. And sometimes to be placed in that wall, we've got to allow ourselves to have a few edges chopped off. You know that? And maybe the edges chopped off you just so that the other person can fit in. It's called Humility. That Jesus, if you need to work on something in me so my brother can walk free and ultimately walk into more what you have, I'll be that stone. It's a radical ask. Not because the church is called to shine, but because Jesus is looking for a home where he can presence himself. 
And it's an amazing thing. The, the psalmist writes in, in Psalm 26 verse 8, I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Not I love the house where you visit on weekends. So the church comes together on Sunday, so God's there. No, He's Emmanuel, God with us. I love the place where you live. Not where you pop in when they bring in the big name speakers. I love that I love the house where you live. Jesus wants to live in his house. The whole purpose of what he is building in the church, in and through the living stones coming together, is a house that he seeks to dwell in. It's a very beautiful thing. God is building a home. And he reveals more of his plan later on in Ephesians. He says his intent in Ephesians 3 verse 10 is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities. You see, he's going to wow the rulers and authorities. He's going to reveal his glory. But how does he do that? By creating this church where his presence dwells. Just where Jesus is. Nothing flash. No special words. Just Jesus. That's why we've got to deal with things like masks in the church. Or mark our mission and our mandate is just to get the world saved. So just preach evangelism. Just tell people they're evangelists and go tell the church. What's the point of an evangelistic church going out when all they do when they deal with each other is masks and lies? There's no point. There will be no authority. There will be no power. And there will be no ultimate reformation of the cities we're sending them out into. Why do we deal with prejudice in the church? Oh, Mark, surely the day we got saved, all prejudice fell away. It's a real, and the enemy wants to use it. And it's not just a black-white prejudice. I said this morning, I only realized my parents were liquidated when I was 20 years old, and I got a prejudice, and I only realized about three years ago. And it was a prejudice a little bit against my friends who were rich kids. I had a prejudice because I struggled with the fact that I had to work to pay for studies. I had to, I, I had to be a cockroach. You know the guy who pitches up at the house at your mate's house like six? How are you doing? Are we eating dinner? No ways. You know that guy. You all know that guy. His name's Tyler. <laughs> you know that guy. I was that guy. Hi, what you doing? Oh, we're having supper. Amazing. I'm so stoked I'm here. It's, it's incredible. God is amazing. God brought me here for dinner. But I got a prejudice, and I only realized years ago. And it affected my relationships. It affected the way I opened up or didn't open up to people. Prejudice is so subtle. But Jesus wants to get inside of his living stones so he can place them in the wall, and the wall will be strong, and it won't limit us from, oh, I can't be next to that rock. That rock comes from a different country. I can't be next to that rock. That rock is young. There's old and young prejudice. There's prejudice from the rich to the poor, and there's prejudice from the poor to the rich in financial terms. And we have to deal with these things, and we come into the presence of God because we long to be a house that He will dwell where amazing things happen. 
You want to see the glory of God? You want to see miracles? You want to see children healed of cancers? You want to see these things? Because I want to see these things. Well, we've got to deal with the things that get in the way, like masks and prejudice and all these things that limit the place where He would dwell. Forgiveness. And tonight I'd speak about, as I encourage us into be this community, I want to speak about lenses of honor and celebration. As we engage people, what are the lenses we use? I had a whole bunch of glasses that I left on my desk at home. So I need some volunteers. Give me some glasses there, buddy. I am my word. You see, lenses affect everything. I mean, I, honestly, I look intelligent now, right? You know, it's incredible. It's, it's, this is, hello, where are we? See, the thing is, and... Uh, but lenses affect everything you see. They give lenses to people who are struggling to see and all of a sudden they can get sight. And lenses get scratched and then we can't see clearly anymore. And I think what Paul is getting at in some of these things is he's getting at the scratched lenses that struggle. My boy, when he was a, a, a youngster, you can take those for now. We were playing, we were wrestling and he stuck his finger in my eye. Poof. And his little nail, thank you for that loud laugh, Taylor. This little nail cut the lens of my eye. My, I woke up at night. My, I couldn't open my eye. I closed it. I just like, ah! So I went to my mate who's an ophthalmologist, and he put this dye in my eye, this like brown-orange dye, and you could see this cut of the lens right down the middle. And you can't see. It's just itchy. It's scratchy. I went and paddled the doozy. I got water in my eye. The next day I had to pedal it. Whoa. Whoa. Yes, Lord. Okay. And... Um, and, and, and it's, it got all inflamed. I had to paddle the second day with a patch on my eye. You know what it's like paddling down a river with one eye? Start hitting rocks. That... The way we see things, the way we see people, is so radically important. The way Jesus saw people. Why could he get over people's sin? Why could he get over the offense of some of their actions? Because what he saw inside of them was what natural sight he saw with spiritual eyes. Why could he call Peter the rock when he knew Peter would chicken out to a little girl? He says, Peter, you rock, because he sees with spiritual eyes. Why can't I look at Stu, a young man, who's still got many years to walk and many victories to win? Why can I see the God design inside of him? Because God gives me, He changes my lenses of prejudice and moss. He gets inside of my heart, creates space so I can see people for who they are. This is the church who will change the world. This is the church Jesus wants to reside in and make His home. Not just a house He visits on weekends. His home. Lenses affect everything. And the challenges, we don't know what they are. Sometimes political, color, status, experience, history, prejudice. What church do you go to? He wants them all to bow their knees at the name of Jesus. All of them. This is the high standard of the gospel. The hard thing about the gospel is not come and die and find that I might truly live. The hard thing is he gets inside of our hearts. That's the hard thing. And he says, I want that boy. And sometimes he, it's, it's one month after you've been saved. One month, sometimes it's 10 years. I was sitting in Zimbabwe listening to an English guy with very few emotions preach. And God revealed to me my prejudices. And it broke me. I went there to minister for two days. I cried. Because God revealed my own heart to me. What happens when he does that in his church? Space comes. 
Jesus had this. And he, in Mark 6, verse 1 to 6, he goes to his hometown, and this is the response. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. It's like Chad LeCoe coming home after the last Olympics, hero to Durban. And every second person I met in Durban said, oh, and I knew Chad when he was four. And I knew Chad, I, was his, so I beat him in under four. You know those guys? It's like, yeah, yeah I beat, AB, I got A.B. de Villiers out when I was at school. So? But he goes to his hometown. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. You know, the, the amazing thing is there are many people who are amazed by Jesus. I've seen people get healed, physical healings, who were amazed and still didn't respond to Jesus. Because they struggled with the church, because someone in the church had disappointed them, because some family member went a little bit weird when they got saved. That happens. But it's not enough to just be amazed by Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, I'm amazed. There's some things here and the stuff you're talking about I like. I'm amazed. Culture and, and a culture of honor and a culture of celebration. I'm amazed by that. I've seen people come to weddings and be amazed by the speeches. I haven't been to my first Life Changes wedding yet, but it's coming soon. But I've been to many at Glenridge for many years. And what people were amazed with were these speeches of honor. Not the best man who's just gone on bestman.com and found the best way to rip off his mate. You've all been to that awkward speech and everyone's like a little bit like, ha ha, that was funny, not. But when a best man gets up and he begins to weep because he speaks about his friend who has lived for Jesus, who's paid a price, who's sacrificed, who's fought for him and his relationship, they're amazed by what Jesus can do in the hearts of selfish people. But amazed is not enough. Where did this man get these things, they ask? What's the wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. He's doing miracles. He's setting people free. He's healing. They take offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his own town, hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. The only time Jesus was amazed is this time at their lack of faith. It took a lot to amaze Jesus. This was it. And it's a funny thing as humans. We struggle to celebrate, particularly in our hometown. I remember being in the corporate space, and so often we'd have amazing talent within our company, and we'd be looking for someone to fill a position, but we'd know the person, and we'd struggle to choose them because we knew them, and we saw with eyes of criticism. We do it in the church. Are there someone from outside coming to preach? So I don't want to listen to Mark or Wally or Quinton or Gabe. I'm coming to church because this guy's there. You don't know that that's his one big one for the year, that he's going to give you the big sock. You don't know that Wally slaved every week, every week, to pour out for you every week. And every week you can't do something radically special. That's the truth. You're just laying foundations and building. And so you begin to forget the gift. You begin to, f to not appreciate the gift anymore. And that's where people come and say, well, my season's just over. Well, that can be so. 
Or maybe your lens is dim. Maybe you can't see the guy sitting in the row next to you and you struggle to see the value in that relationship. Maybe your lens is a little scratched. And maybe you need to take your lens off and put on a new lens, a Jesus lens. It's a radical thing. He began to teach and they were amazed. They recognized the wisdom, the divine power. And then they asked him three questions. Isn't he a carpenter? Isn't Tim just a photographer? And we slip that word in just. Isn't Crystal just a graphic designer? Who is she to lay hands on the sick and to see them healed? We ask these questions. Sometimes we're the one receiving prayer going, who is it? Oh, Sherbet. I wish it was Wally and not Mark. We do it. Let's be honest. We do it. Okay, just me. And then they say, it's this tall poppy syndrome. Have you heard of the tall poppy syndrome? It's the social phenomenon where people begin to rise amongst their peers. They start being resented, so people spend energy to pull them down. Where one poppy rises above the others, the, the environment around it works to pull it down. That cannot be the church. That cannot be the place Jesus wants to spend his time and hang out. We have to be the place who can celebrate our brothers. Celebrate our sisters, celebrate marriages and celebrate birthdays and celebrate these moments without having to feel the need to pull them down. Every 21st that I go to that's not in the church, people are pulled down with stories of their worst moments, not their highlights real. Can we turn that tide? Can we invest in people with encouragement and words of life? And even if you've never received that from your family, because of Jesus, in Him, the whole building rises. Because of Jesus, we can have victory in this. Can we speak life over our nation? Can we speak life over our city? Can we speak life over crime in the area so that life can break in and living stones get stuck in and bring healing to our city? Can we be these people that He is building up so He can inhabit and then they ask, and aren't they just the brothers of James, Joseph, Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? He's just a common guy. Just a common guy. We do it with our brothers, guys. We get familiar. And the challenge in the church is we don't just get to learn people's good sides as we, we do community as we do. And get, we get to learn their challenging sides as well. It's an amazing thing. Wherever Paul went, he wrote to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints here, to the saints in Colossians. He always chooses to mark them by how Jesus sees them. Corinthians was a crazy church. They were messing up all the time. Finances, sexual immorality, crazy meetings. And he writes him to the saints, much loved. I love the way, I've said it before, Terry Virgo preaches and he says, Dear beloved. You know, the dear beloved are messing up. Yes, that's fine. See them as Jesus sees them. It says, they took offense at Jesus. He's healing. He's setting people free. He's doing very cool things. And it says, they take offense 
at him. That word offense is from the, the root word scandalizomai. You get that? I nailed it. Are there any Greek people here? I nailed it. That was exactly how you say it. And it means to scandalize. To take offense is to scandalize. So Quentin walks in the room and he doesn't greet me. So I take offense. I am scandalizing him. Do you know that? We are too easily offended. Life changes. As people, we're just too easily offended. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Offense is never given. It's always taken. I cannot give you offense. You take it. Yes, and we work things out. And so we've got to engage. The church should be the masters of confrontation. You know that? And conflict management. The church should be getting stuck in the workplace. And when there's chaos, we are the peacemakers because we are the sons and daughters of God. And we go in and we bring peace. It's a crazy, crazy thing. And Jesus says, only in his hometown, amongst his relatives. See, they saw him grow up. He never sinned. He honored his parents. He worked diligently. They saw him and they still couldn't see the good. They still couldn't see the greatness. Can we be the church who calls the greatness out of our brothers and sisters? I think it's a key to seeing the residing presence of God. We can have prayer meetings for hours, but if we don't get this right, we won't see it. We can fast for weeks, but if we still scandalize and we still take offense and we still confront in bad ways, I'm telling you, we won't see the residing presence of Jesus. And I want to see it. So where does it start? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What does that mean? We regard no one according to the flesh. So Tyler offends me by getting up while I'm preaching. I'm just offended. So when I engage him on Tuesday or Wednesday, how do I engage him? I regard no one according to the flesh. And I'm having fun. Because trust me, I'm not that easily offended. But I, I see the man of God inside. Yes, he's young. And yes, he's got some rough edges. Hey, Amy. You're allowed to say yes. And, but I see the God design inside. And I go back to God and I say, God, you know what? He offended me a little bit. But tell me about Tyler. One of the greatest words of wisdom and insight have ever been given by a man named Artie Kendall. He said, talk more to God about men than to men about God. You want to walk this life well? You want to have strong relationships? Talk more to God about men than to men about God. Because there are so many men talking to men about God and getting weird ideas about God rather than just going to God. You want to walk in harmony with your brothers? Talk to God about your brothers. Find His perspective and live that out. It's a hard thing. You know what's hard about it? Is he cries out in Romans 12, and we read that scripture about um, uh, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Later in verse 10, that often get left, gets left out. It said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another about yourselves. Before that, it says, do not have too high an opinion of yourself. 
You want to walk in relational harmony. Maybe you come from complete brokenness. Maybe your parents were terrible. Maybe the environment you grew up was disastrous. Maybe you haven't known a healthy relationship. I'm telling you, walk in humility. Have a, an, a God opinion of yourself. Which is not have this low opinion, but have a God opinion. And then honor your brothers. And you know what the problem is? It doesn't come with the disclaimer. The house that wants to see God reside doesn't come with the disclaimer about who you honor. Well, Travis is cool to me. Travis greets me. Ta- What's your name again? Quinton. Quinton, husband of Louise. So, so I, I begin to have one lens for him and one lens for him. We do it, guys. Jesus is saying no more. It doesn't come with a disclaimer. Exodus 20 verse 21 says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live in the land that God is giving you. It doesn't come with a disclaimer if your parents were good. If your parents spoke nicely to you and read you stories at night. If your parents paid for your studies. If your parents, if, it doesn't come with an if. It just says, honor. Yo, Mark, my dad was an alcoholic. The Bible just says, honor, guys. I, I can't give you a disclaimer. Both my, par- my, my father's parents died alcoholics. I've never heard him say one negative word about them. Not once. And it's taught me something. He lived his whole life in boarding school. He never went home. He went to Dundee school at six years old. And the only time he went home on holidays is when families took him out. He lived in boarding school. I couldn't think of anything worse for my boys. But I've never heard him speak of his parents with anger. He's found healing in Jesus. And in him... I want to see people with Jesus' lenses. And I'm telling you, He wants us to see like that too. And He wants to stay there. We can sing songs loud. We can do crazy things for Jesus. But if we can't see people the way He sees them, I I struggle to see Him hanging around. I really do. See, in Psalm 8... Verse 4, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Look at someone next to you and say, You are crowned with glory and honor. I know it's weird, just do it. Just do it. And now the next time that they don't greet you, remember this thing. Remember this thing. The next time you choose to be offended or not, remember that person is crowned with glory and honor given by God. God is dealing with us for our future. He is building a house that He will call home. When we put up a sign, welcome home, the number one person that's for is Jesus. Can we close our eyes, please? Just, um, just uh, before we set up for this future, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're struggling with offense. I want you to find freedom. 
The greatest freedom, the first one, is maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you can't say, in Him I'll find freedom. Because unfortunately, it won't come in a book of five strategies to freedom. It comes in a person named Jesus. And I'd like to just give you an opportunity to find freedom, to find healing, to find your future in Jesus. In Him, He wants to build you up. In Him, He wants to put a life in you where there was previously death. I'd love to just pray for you if there is anyone. Why don't you just, while heads are bowed, why don't you just give me a wave? I'd love to just pray for you. That's cool. Amazing. There's some hands. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Many hands. Thank you, man. This is Jesus. I just pray, Jesus. You see every hand. It's wonderful, girl. Thank you. You see every hand here. We want to live this life for you, Jesus. I pray, breathe your life in now. I pray, speak words of life into your daughters and your sons now, God. I thank you for every hand that's been raised. And I just pray right now, God, strip away brokenness, strip away the lies, and breathe your truth and speak your truth over your children now. Thank you that every sin is washed away. Everyone. Every stain, every blemish is gone. Everyone. Doesn't matter if it happened this morning, it's gone. And you are clean and you are new and you are righteous. You can walk with God from today. We thank you, Jesus. Please, if, if, you go, if you put your hand up, please tell someone next to you or come and speak to me. love to pray for you and, and see you start walking that thing up. But maybe, maybe if you say, Mark, I struggle with this. I struggle to see the positive. You know, there's some people that just wake up in the morning and they see the bright side of life. That's wonderful. Most people don't. You just need to watch Facebook. We struggle. We love complaining. And every now and again you find a person come speak life. I want us to be a church who will change this thing. Who can turn the tide. You know what? We can turn the tide. Wake up tomorrow morning and go, Thank the Lord, it's Monday. Try it. See what responses you get. Thank the Lord I go to work today. That I can go to studies today. Thank you, Jesus, that I can get up early and live for you. Thank you for my boss. Thank you for our government. Speak words of love. Can I ask us all to stand? I'm not going to ask like I just want to pray for us. Is that all right? I need to stand, so I need you to stand with me. I do struggle with this sometimes. I do. Sometimes I have days and I get to hear the privilege of people's lives that are rocking and on fire for Jesus and God's doing amazing things. And I get home and I go, Cairns, you won't believe it. And sometimes I have other days. And I get home and Candace goes, tell me, and I go, ooh, maybe tomorrow. I want to see Jesus in everyone. I'm trying hard. I ask him to show me and reveal. But I want every bit of prejudice stripped out of me. Every one of these lenses that are unhelpful stripped out of me. Everyone, you can't keep one pair. Are they my favorite spectacles? Toss them in the bin if they aren't Jesus' lenses. So I pray now, Jesus, for myself and my friends here. 
And I pray we want to be a church that you will call home. We want to be a people that you will reside in, that, that we don't live with Jesus, our, our, our fly-by-night lover. We live with Jesus who is with us 24-7, 365 days of the year. Every year, Lord, you are with us. You are in our presence. We want to be this church, Jesus, who know you, who walk and live to please you. So I pray, God, in this place, Lord, let us be people who see with your lenses, God. I pray for husbands and wives who are here tonight and in the broader community that we would see our, our, our wives with your lenses, God. That we would see our friends with your lenses. That we'd see our children, our colleagues at work, our bosses, that we would see them with your lenses. Our leaders in life, we would see them with your lenses and be able to receive the gift that is inside each one, God. And we love you, Jesus. And we want to be those living stones built into your wall and your house that you are building, God. We thank you, King.